All right, so for our podcast listeners, we're continuing this discussion. Our radio listeners, we hope we got you back onto the podcast. Let me just ask about a couple of terms that we've thrown around and that people throw around in general. They talk mm-hmm. about – sometimes they, they definitely talk about mutual funds. Most people have heard of mutual funds. Some people have heard of ETFs, and now they definitely mm-hmm. have. And we talk a lot about index funds. What are – let's just talk about the index – fund part of this, how are they the same or different than ETFs and mutual funds? Yeah. Yeah. It's a great question. I get this all the time. ETFs are index funds or wait, are they mutual funds or people just use the word funds. Now you have a good understanding, you know, good start to mutual funds versus ETFs. Okay. What are index funds? What are index funds? Index funds are a fund that tracks an index, all right? And an index, you can define it any way you want. All right, Matt, I could have the fast food chain index. Mm. I'm gonna hold equal weight of McDonald's, Burger King, Chick-fil-A, and Taco Bell. And that's my index. I see. And now I now someone, that's my index and it's easily defined. All right, that's, that is a prerequisite for an index. You have to be able to define it algorithmically, easily defined. And then you could create a fund that tracks that index. Mine's very simple. It's four companies, equal weight, 25% of each in a fund. So Matt, you can go ahead and launch a fund called the, uh, the Matt Robeson Fast Food Chain Fund based on the Morton Fast Food Index. And it just holds those four things. Super easy peasy. So right? an index is just, a, it's a sample from a particular a sector or it's a sample of anything. No, it's, in, it's Yeah. Think of it this way. It's really just a well-defined set within the investable universe. So S&P 500, top 500 companies in the U.S. Total U.S. stock market, 33,000 30, companies here in the U.S. Hmm. We could do the Australia, total Australian market. Okay. So those are all examples of an index that are easily defined. You know what they are. And then you could have a fund that tracks that index. Now it can literally be invested in exactly what the index or it can track it very closely by holding 80% of it. We'll get you very close tracking, say. And there's all kinds of mathematics behind all that, okay? Index fund is just simply a fund that tracks an index. There are well-known ones, total US stock market, total international market, the S&P 500, right? Those kinds of things. Those are all indexes. Now, index fund is a fund that tracks the index. It could be an ETF, exchange-traded fund, or it could be a mutual fund. I so it see. could be either one. And an index fund, it, it, one of the features of it is that if it's an index, it's just going to track whatever you've, you've, you've put in that index. Like you said, it could yep. be the whole S&P, it could be the whole stock market, it could be you know, entertainment companies, it could be construction, yep. whatever it is. So since it's set up, you don't have to do a lot at that point. You, it's it's so the, not like yeah. a mutual fund where it's like, all right, what do we think is a good investment today? All right, hold on a sec. Because you see, you just were, you're thinking like most people out there, I love it, Matt. It's not like a mutual fund that's going to be actively managed. But remember, a, an ETF is a fund. It could be actively managed as well. Mm. So it doesn't have to be mutual. So let's talk about active versus passive. We just defined index fund and you're exactly right. Index funds are very passive. Once I've defined what it is, there's not a lot of work to it. You have to create a fund that tracks it. Not super hard using computers these days. 
and then you're up and running and you can work with a small team to do that. So we call that very passive, passively managed. It's just managed to whatever that index is. Active is where we're making bets. Hey, I think the energy sector is going to be better than the discretionary consumer sector for the next six months. So I'm going to overweight my allocation to that sector. And then we'll reevaluate in six months. So now I've got a team of researchers. I'm a star manager and it costs more to do that. And I'm making active bets. So the the fund usually has a higher expense to it because there's more involved and we're making active bets on what I predict the future to be to get outsized returns is the whole point. Again, though. I see. All right. So there's my team. I could launch that as a mutual fund. That's been typically in the past because they have a longer history, but I can also launch it as an ETF. I can have an actively managed ETF and you're going to see more and more of these. So just be aware that you have to know what you're investing in, whether it's a mutual fund or an ETF, just understand it's in the S and P or the total U S or the energy sector, or it's this star manager or this particular slant to it. That's more actively managed. So you could have a mutual fund. You could have an ETF. You could have a mutual fund that's actively managed. You could have a mutual fund that is an index that is relatively passive. You could have an ETF that is relatively passive or relatively active. So you have all these different flavors and we've talked a lot about, there are some minor differences in terms of when the funds are settled and whether they're, they're, they're traded within the day mm-hmm. and whether they, they have the same value as the underlying assets. But what does it mean for investors? What's the difference right. to me? Like, why right, do right. I care about these differences? Yeah, and I will mention one other thing, and then I'm going to answer your question. I love the way you put that. You could have this thing or that thing. It could be this way or this way. Get ready because ETFs are now holding futures contracts. They're holding options inside the ETF wrapper. So your $1,000, you can buy the upside of the total US stock market, but be protected on the downside by a put option inside the ETF wrapper, okay? So get ready for these, not only triple levered, but also what we call buffered, where you're you're getting up to 10% of the upside, but protected on the downside in these different ways. So it's getting very complicated what people are launching inside the wrapper, of an ETF. Just throwing that out there to, for the listeners to get ready. All right, look, if you're going to throw something out, I'm going to throw something out. Let me tell you, we're going to do a show about this. We're okay. going to do a show about this because my sense is things get more and more complicated. It advantages people who are on the inside who have a lot of resources. Advantage Wall Street. <laughs> and it's not as it gets more complex and you have to understand all the legalese in Latin. It's not necessarily advantaging you. But anyway, let's talk about what matters to you and me and people like us in terms of these differences. So I'm just going to highlight one thing and then get into that. The Remember the difference, one of the differences between ETFs and mutual funds. Mutual funds settle at the end of the day. And I told you they settle on their NAV, all right, which is the net asset value, the prices of all the underlying stuff. So in mine, I had those four uh, fast food chains. So at the end of the day, they stopped trading on the open market. And I can look up the exact price, the last trade of each one. And that is what my mutual fund value is. So it gets uh-huh. set at the end of the day. And then Matt, you invested 5,000 bucks and you get exactly $5,000 worth of those four things underneath. 
Right, right. Okay, net asset value. Whereas if you buy them in the stock market, it's going up and down, up and down. And if you do a market price, you're just buying that ETF. The ETF version of my four fast food chains is going up and down throughout the day. And if you invest 5,000, you just go that spot price at that time. Two different ways they work. Now, why is this important for investors? We started the show with that capital gains problem, all right, that you could get hit with capital gains even though all you did was just invest into a mutual fund. The reason why is, let me talk a little bit about how, I told you how the mutual funds work, the NAV. ETFs, on the other hand, Matt puts in 5,000 bucks. My ETF has to issue $5,000 of shares over to Matt. The way I do that is I'm the ETF guy and I give him the ETF shares, but I've got to buy the other four underlying stocks. I have a partner who does that. Okay. He's called the authorized participant. Okay. So he's my friend. He's my partner. I say, Hey, I got 5,000 bucks. Give me each of those four companies. I need $5,000 worth across those four companies. That person does all that delivers them back to me. So I took the 5,000 in cash. I got the stock, but I issued Matt the ETF shares. Okay. All right. So there's three participants here, Matt, you're the owner of the shares. I'm the ETF uh, guy and I've got my authorized uh, participant AP. Right. Now, why is this important? Because the way that the investments work is that as buyers and sellers come into that market, I'm using the AP for doing a lot of the trading. I don't have to pass on capital gains within my fund to Matt. So I have gains. Burger King does really well. Uh huh. And so someone decides to sell. Well, the ETF goes up. My ETF goes up because Burger King's gone up. That's great. Right, right. So someone, Matt decides to sell. I can give him back his money and we exchange in kind, it's called, the AP exchanges. And so I don't have to pass on capital gains to anybody else. Whereas the mutual fund cannot do that. I have to sell Burger King on the mutual fund now. And I'm giving Matt back $5,000 because he bought the mutual fund version. I have to sell the Burger King at a capital gain because it's gone up. And I have to pass that on to existing shareholders, that gain. I see. That in a nutshell is how it works. Now, for the listeners, let me summarize. Okay. <laughs> if you buy the ETF version, you do not get hit with the capital gains until you sell your own ETF. Okay. But right. as you're holding that, you're really not going to get hit with the capital gains. If you own a mutual fund, it's all version, happening within the family. It's, it's all, all happening that within the family. Participant is, yes. Is, so it, it would be like literally if we did a whole bunch of stuff inside our house, it doesn't matter. It's like if you and your family swapped outfits, right? And to changing, I'm gonna put on this scarf, I'm gonna I'm gonna take off this hat, blah, blah, blah. No one sees that until you leave the house. And so it has right. no effect on the outside world until that happens. Right. Whereas with a mutual fund, you sort of like people get a, a window into that. What is it, every day? Yeah, it's the mechanics, not every day, it's throughout the year. But it's the mechanics of how it works is different. We talked a little bit about it, But the upshot to investors is you can get hit with capital gains distributions even if you do not buy or sell your mutual fund because of the way it works inside the house. All right. L- let me ask you kind of – I'm, I'm going to try and channel the listeners. So if it's from them, it's an intelligent question. But <laughs> I, I was about to say, this may seem like a dumb question. No, no, no. And it, questions from the listeners are intelligent <laughs> questions. Given that, given this advantage, 
in terms of capital gains taxes because all that churn mm-hmm. is happening inside the house. It's, yep. it's in the family. Is there any reason why you would prefer the mutual fund version of something versus the ETF? Yeah. In my opinion, in my practice, I recommend ETFs 99% of the time. That's interesting. Wow. There's, but there is a reason. There is a pro for the mutual funds. Okay. One of the things I like about them is you can do automatic investments and withdrawals from mutual funds. They're often set up that way. So let me give you an example. I have an IRA, I'm an individual retirement account that's invested in the S&P 500. And I'd like to throw $500 a month into that because I know I can do 6,000 throughout the year. So every month from my paycheck, I throw 500 in there. You can set Vanguard or other places. You could set 500 a month withdrawal and add it to my IRA, which is invested in the S&P 500 mutual fund and throw it in there every month. And so that's automatic. And the other thing is that you can automatically reinvest all the dividends um, and interest and dividends in mutual funds. So you can select, just reinvest all the interest and dividends in the mutual fund and it just stays in there. And you Um, can't do that with ETFs. That's built into mutual funds more often than ETFs. So there may be technology in ways that, that you can set that up at Fidelity and say, oh yeah, do that, what I just described, into an ETF. And they might do that. I haven't seen that personally, but the listeners can let us know, oh yeah, this is easy. Send me a screenshot or send me an email on that if that's really easy with ETFs as well. But I do know with mutual funds, that's always been a benefit, that it's easy to automatically invest and reinvest. So let's say I'm sitting here and I'm thinking to myself, Ah, darn it. I wish we'd had this episode a year ago because given the benefits of ETFs and what we now know is the giant tax bill that (laughs) I and other people may be facing coming up, I'd like to not have the mutual fund. I, I, I want that. I want the ETF version. Can you do that? Can you exchange it? Yeah. I've heard from Vanguard that they will let you do that. But that I think is very particular to Vanguard. And I'll I'll say that in, in, I'll talk to that in one sec. The general answer is no. If I own a mutual fund and I put in 50,000 five years ago and it's worth 80,000 today, I'd have to sell the mutual fund and take $30,000 of capital gains and then reinvest that into the ETF. So you might not want to do that. Not worth (laughs) it. You know, so you might not want to do that. But at Vanguard, I know that they have, I told you it's wrappers, right? ETF wrapper, mutual fund wrappers around the assets. They actually set it up so it's the same underlying investment, the S&P 500. They have $100 million. That's probably billions. But anyway, $100 million in the S&P 500. They sell that investment as an ETF and they sell it as a mutual fund, the exact same underlying thing. That's the way they set it up internally inside the house. So they've allowed some investors, if you want to swap whichever one, they can do that in kind inside the house and not have a taxable event. So if you happen to have a Vanguard account and Vanguard funds, you can look into that. That's interesting as well. You know what this feels like to me is, speaking of Vanguard, you've already mentioned that mutual funds have this long history going back to 1924. And then what we saw was a disruption that came in with low-cost index fund opportunities for retail investors like me. And 
that, that, and again, this is going to the other episode that they end up following this in the radio or, or going ahead of it in the podcast. But we just did it, 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 an episode on this on on fees, and you know there was this disruption because all of a sudden you had this advantage of paying lower fees, which could really pay off as as we went through over twenty years. It feels like, given this potential capital gains advantage that there is a disruption to mutual funds in the form of ETFs that maybe the whole market, the whole retail market hasn't caught up to, hasn't availed themselves of. Is that the case? Do you see over time more and more people switching over to ETFs given this tax advantage? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't have any data on do I see more people switching over. ETF flows are going to be, in terms of the data and and money going in and out, ETF flows will continue to rise because they are newer. They're only 20 25 years old and they're getting um, more popular and they're and of course they're becoming more popular and we just mentioned there are new products you know right. being launched under this etf wrapper so i expect that etf ownership the number of dollars in etfs will continue to grow but the number of dollars in mutual funds is going up there too i don't have a good sense of the data which way we're going but i would agree that there's a lot of reasons for owning etfs they're a more they're a newer version of the same thing with some newer advantages to them We really should wrap this up in a second, but I know you're going to be putting out some more material for people who are interested in this and really want to understand the landscape. So where can people find more info on this? Yeah, we're going to have a whole article on this because it was more of a masterclass, deep dive into the differences. So mortonfinancialadvice.com, there's articles. There'll be an article posted within a few weeks up there. And particularly, we'll also dive into an example of what I was talking about with the capital gains, why you might get hit with capital gains, Mm. holding a mutual fund in your taxable, in your brokerage account. I'll have an example there with some dollars and numbers on how that works. All right. So just to sum all of this up, this has been a conversation about mutual funds, ETFs, index funds, and the various crossovers among them. And the bottom line is where you started, which is there are they're, they're largely similar and there are overlaps, but you have to understand the differences because they can have tax consequences. They can have fee consequences. And this is just worth understanding. And so I, I encourage people, listen to this in the podcast feed so that you can hit that rewind button and then check out that website for more information. Mike, thanks for running through all of this with us. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for joining us on Financial Planning for Entrepreneurs. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to and rate the podcast on Apple iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can connect with me at LinkedIn or MortonFinancialAdvice.com. I'd love to get your feedback. If you have a comment or question, please email me at FinancialPlanningPod at gmail.com. Until next time, thanks for tuning in. This recording is for informational purposes only and should not be considered for investment advice. Opinions expressed as are of the date of recording. Such opinions are subject to change. We do not guarantee the accuracy or completeness of the data presented here.